0: Well, Christmas is a very wonderful time, as the song says, but it's also a very painful time for some people. For some people, and I know some people in this room, this is a very different Christmas this year because someone is not going to be at the table that's typically there. There's someone that you've not had to shop for this year because they're not here. They've gone home to be with the Lord. And so as you go into this holiday season, there's a sense of achiness inside. There's some pain inside. Some of you, you're, you're separated from a deployed loved one. And so Christmas is just missing something this year because of their absence. Some of you are dealing with the pain of divorce and the whole blended family thing. Have you got kids to shuttle from this place to that place? They're one place Christmas Eve, they're another place Christmas Day, and you're arranging all kinds of drop-offs and pickups. And sometimes it feels like you got the shaft because they get them more to, more more than we get them. And to arrange all those logistics over Christmas Eve and any holiday. To be honest, is you need kind of like an air traffic controller to navigate everything. Not only are we pained by the absence of people, but we also are pained sometimes by the presence of people. There are some people in our lives that, honestly, we have trouble with. And so the holidays force us to be in a place where we're uncomfortable to be around that person. It could be a stepfather who's wounded you, or it could be a sibling that you have an unresolved disagreement with. It could be a child who has dishonored you. It could be a spouse that has rejected you. You know, we've got all kinds of, of family pain. On top of that, we all have these crazy relatives. Sometimes it's the, it's the uncle who drinks too much or it's the aunt that talks too much. And, and how many of you have a crazy in your family that, that comes on the holidays? Raise your hand. Raise it real high. Raise it real high, okay? You have a crazy in your family, okay? Keep it up, keep it up. Now look around. The ones that don't have their hands up, okay? You just might be the crazy one, okay? You just might be the crazy one. But we have those people, Right? And so holidays come and we go, oh man, we're just we got to keep our mouths quiet. Don't don't talk politics with that person. I'm not even going to look at him. I'm just going to be nice as I can because if I don't do that, I'm going to explode. I'm going to unload on them. And and we don't want to do that. So the holidays can can contribute. Here's what I've discovered among Christians. One of the biggest issues that we deal with is forgiving someone who's wounded us. Isn't that interesting? I've known people who, who are very devoted to the Lord, who give faithfully, who have served God faithfully, who are prayer warriors, who still have that one person, that one person who did or said something to them that has found a place in their heart and has caused them pain, that every time that person gets closer, every time they begin to talk about that event, it resurfaces again. Unbelievers, of course, deal with forgiveness issues too. I think just about everybody in this room can identify somebody in your life That when that person comes to the forefront, your heart starts to do gymnastics. I want to talk about that today because Christmas is forgiving. Not just forgiving gifts, but it is forgiving people. When the angel came to Mary and Joseph, the angel said this, you are to give this little baby the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Friends, that's forgiveness. And I want to talk to you today about forgiveness, because some of you need to forgive today, because Christmas is forgiving. And what you're going to find is that when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. We're going to look at a story of a man named Joseph, not the Marian Joseph Joseph, but the Joseph from the Old Testament, who had a lot of brothers, and his brothers very much offended him, hurt him. And we're going to look at his story, but before we do, I want to ask you if you'd be willing to do something pretty brave, open your heart today to this issue that if God could bring you to that place of forgiveness, that you truly would forgive. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth we're gonna look at today. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, pry them open, and Father, bring forgiveness, bring the love, bring the grace that you brought to us, to those who hurt and offended us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Joseph, in the Old Testament, was a son of Jacob, or Israel. He had 11 brothers. He and his younger brother, Benjamin, were born to Abraham's real favorite wife, his chosen wife, Rachel. And because he was born in in his dad's older years, Joseph was very treasured by his dad, so much that dad made this multicolored coat for him. And along the way, Joseph began to have these crazy dreams, dreams where he saw these things happening, and it was like his brothers were actually submitting to him. That sometime in their life, there was going to come a time when these brothers would actually look to their younger brother for help. And so they hated them, hated Joseph for that. And so when Joseph was 17, he went up to see his brothers in the field, and they decided they were going to kill him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, said, no, no, let's have mercy on him, And so an Egyptian caravan happened to be going by, and they sold him to these Egyptians for 20 shekels of silver. They took the coat, the multicolored coat, and made it look like Joseph had been killed by an animal. In fact, I want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. You can actually read uh, these chapters. It's a fascinating story, and we don't have time to go through every detail, but I want to take you quickly through this journey of Joseph. It says then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, "We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe." He recognized it and said, "It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces." And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son for many days. We follow that story Joseph is taken into Egypt. He becomes a servant to an Egyptian leader named Potiphar. And while he's serving Potiphar, Potiphar's wife makes the moves on Joseph. She wants to have an affair with him, but he won't cooperate. And so she accuses him of trying to rape her. Joseph is thrown into prison. There he meets some other officials from the Egyptian court who are thrown into the prison. And God gives him favor that while Joseph is there, he's he's so blessed that he becomes the leader in the prison. The warden gives him charge of everything that happens within the prison. And while he's there, Joseph exhibits this continued spiritual gift of interpreting dreams. He interprets the dreams of the men in the prison. Word gets to the high court to where Pharaoh learns of this. And when Pharaoh has this amazing dream that no one can interpret, he turns to Joseph Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream means. He says, there's a time coming when the land will prosper greatly. And during that time, you must store up extra grain because what's going to follow will be years of famine. And if you store up during the times of plenty, you'll have have grain in the lean times. And so Pharaoh says, I want that guy on my team. He makes him second in command. He gives Joseph such power that the scripture says that no one could lift a hand or a foot unless Joseph said so. That's a lot of power that this Israelite is now given in the land of Egypt. And so while he's there, he has a child. He names his child Manasseh, has another child later named Ephraim. But the name Manasseh means this God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. In other words, that's all behind me. I'm moving on, it's a new life. I'm an Egyptian, I've got my job. Got my family. We're going to make it work here. But along the way, Jacob runs out of food and sends his brothers to Egypt to get grain. And when they come to Egypt, they have to humble themselves before this leader that they don't know. They don't know this is Joseph, but they come before their brother asking for assistance. And all of a sudden, Joseph has to face the ones who tried to kill him. And so we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 42, verse 7, where it says this. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now now watch how Joseph responds. He knows who they are, but he's going to play it tough. He's going to treat them like strangers. Why? Because that's how you protect your heart. You find yourself doing that sometimes with someone who's offended you. I'm not going to treat them like my friend anymore. I'm not going to treat them like my brother anymore. I'm going to treat them like a stranger. And what oozes out sometimes is harshness. My wife will tell me every now and then, honey, how come you're speaking harsh? You sound angry. I'm not angry. (laughs) Do you know what's happening? It's leaking out. Stuff that's inside is leaking out. And you cannot hide the pain that's inside when it starts to surface. It comes out in your tone of voice. It comes out in the words you use. It came out in Joseph's words. Not only that, but look at the next thing that happened. It says, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Now he's worried. He's suspicious of their motives. Again, that's how we act toward people who've hurt us, who've wounded us. If I let that person get close again, they're gonna do it again. I'm not gonna let them ever hurt me again. So you're suspicious. Have they really changed? Mm, I kind of doubt it. But then this happens. Watch the story. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph couldn't hold his emotion anymore. As it began to percolate inside, it built up to where he said he had to get away, and he just started bawling because he recognized that this was an issue that I thought was behind me. It's not. Here it is. I've got to deal with it. I've got to do something with this issue. And he decides that he needs some time. And so he wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin, who didn't come with the group. So he says, I'm gonna hold one of the brothers back as kind of collateral, that you'll go back and next time you come, you will bring Benjamin with you. He wanted to see his younger brother. And so sometime later, they come back again. And they come back with Benjamin this time. And now we turn to the 45th chapter, Here's what happens when they return. It says, And Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Joseph just can't deal with it anymore. It's built up. And he just explodes in tears and drives everybody out of the room. And he says, Okay, we're gonna deal with this. Guys, I'm I'm Joseph. And they will not answer him. You know why? They're terrified. You would be too. You tried to kill your brother, you think he's gone, out of your life, and all of a sudden he's the one in power. Joseph looks down at these brothers of his, and he's in a position to pay back. If he wants to throw them in prison, he could do it. If he wants to execute them, he could do it. He could do anything he wants to them. They're not speaking a word. But that's not what he does. That's not what Joseph does to his brothers. We can go on to the, uh, the next verse, see what Joseph, Joseph says to them in verses 4 through 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God has sent me ahead of you. So instead of giving giving retribution, instead of giving what everyone would have considered to be justice, he gave mercy. And let me just ask you, if you were in a position where you could pay back that person that abused you, that, that boss that wrongly fired you, that friend who betrayed you, that spouse who wounded you so deeply, if you had them in the palm of your hand and you could do anything to punish them and you would be supported in doing so, what would you do? Joseph's in that position. And he chooses to give them grace. And I want to ask you, could God do the same for you? If God was with Joseph and gave him favor, don't you think that that same God could do something in your heart to give you that favor that you too could forgive? And he can, if you're willing to make Some critical decisions. Here they are. Here's some critical decisions that will put you in the place of forgiveness. Number one, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. It starts with praying for them. Here's what you pray for them. Pray the prayer Jesus prayed on the cross. Jesus was nailed on a cross between two thieves. And Jesus appealed to his heavenly father. Here's what he said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they are doing. Jesus didn't say he forgave them. He said, Father, would you forgive them? Because ultimately, every sin is against the heavenly Father. You may be sinned against. That's true. But who's the one who made you? Who's the one who set the rules in place? Who's the one who put the boundaries? That's God. Ultimately, all sin is against God. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't have a clue. They don't know what they're doing. I I know those soldiers that were there, they did not know that was the son of God they were executing. Those soldiers, they had no idea that they were fulfilling scripture and killing Jesus. They didn't know what they were doing. And I want to say to you, there are many people in your life, some, true, are calculated and, and cunning in wounding you. They're evil. But there are a lot of people who do it carelessly, a lot of people do it who have no idea that what they're going to do to you right now, the things they say to you, the wounds they inflict on you, they have no clue of the damage it will cause down the road. They have no idea that, that this wound to you as a little, little boy is going to affect you as you grow up. They have no clue that the abuse they've given to that little girl is going to cause her dysfunction in all her relationships going forward. She's going to have trouble getting married. The, the trust that was broken is going to cause this person to always distrust Authority figures in their life. They just don't know what they're doing. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They're just oftentimes obeying another voice. Just like the soldiers obeyed the orders of the Roman authorities, sometimes the enemy, Satan, will whisper to someone. And he'll make things that sound so dumb and and so wrong sound so appealing. And so people do it thinking they'll gain from it, thinking they'll get pleasure from it, thinking they'll make progress with it. But you know those people that hurt you that are listening to that voice, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said pray for them. Pray that the Father would forgive them. That's a hard thing to do. But Jesus modeled it for us when he was wrongly sent to a cross. I will pray for you. Here's a second decision. I will release your debt. When someone sins against you, when someone wounds you, a, a debt is incurred. It's like a ledger book where this is what they did, and now this is what they owe you. They owe me an apology. They owe public acknowledgement of their wrong. They owe me a restitution. Maybe they need to give something back to me. Maybe they need to go to jail for what they did. Or maybe they need to suffer the death penalty. You right over here, what you believe is the just punishment, the the thing that's owed. It's like the parable Jesus told of a man with a big debt and a man with a little debt. And it was all about forgiveness, because forgiveness is about debt. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our what? Debts. As we forgive our debtors. So a debt is owed, and forgiveness says, I release you from your debt. How can you do that? How can you release someone from that debt? They 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 deserve that. That's justice. That's true. Where do you draw the strength to release them? From the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sins. He paid the price. He paid what they owed when he went to the cross. He paid what you owed for your sins, every wrong you've committed. He paid for the punishment, the consequence for that, the eternal consequences when he went to the cross. Now, there are consequences sometimes that linger on. There might be um, legal consequences. There might be some restrictions on contact and all that. I understand all that, but forgiveness means I release you from the debt and I write over what you owe me, not just canceled, but paid in full by the blood of Christ. We release it. Then here's what else we do. We bless them. We say, I will bless you. In Luke chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That's hard, isn't it? I understand you want me to pray for God to forgive them, and I understand you want me just to release the debt, but to actually go a step further and say, God, would you bless that person who hurt me, who wounded me? I don't know if I can do that. I'm asking you to do the impossible, but it's possible through the power of Christ to actually bless those who curse you, who persecute you, who hurt you. And it's only through the grace of Christ that we can do that. When my father um, was was a young dad, I was a little boy, he created terror in our household. Everyone was afraid of my dad. And I've shared some stories before, but my dad was not always a very nice person. Sometimes it was very mean. It especially bothered me the way he treated my mother and the way he talked and the vulgar language he used. And when I was a little boy, I was afraid of my dad, but when I got bigger, I just got angry. There were times that I just wanted to go and punish my dad. I, there were times that I even felt like, man, if I could kill my dad to bring our family peace, I would do it. I just don't want to go to jail. It's been, you know what? When I became a Christian, things changed. And I learned to truly let things go into the Lord's hands. And I, saw, I started to see my dad as someone who's wounded and broken, that he's been a victim. And he's, he's acting out of hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Have you ever heard that? My dad was hurting people because he was a hurt, broken person. And I began to see him through the eyes of Christ. It changed everything where I could just get over all those issues from the past, see my dad differently. And and my wife's had a similar story, and I've asked Julie to come and share a little bit of her story um, with us today. Maybe that's part of what drew us together of some similar life journeys, but um, would you welcome my wife, Julie, to the stage? And uh, I want you just to share a little bit about growing up and what kind of mom you had and how tough that was as a kid.
1: Well, I did grow up in a single-parent home with my mother and three brothers. And uh, my mother was a very troubled person. She was um, a very bitter, angry, uh, hateful person, and uh, many times uh, rather violent. And so my brothers and I grew up in um, a pretty chaotic life with our mother and a little bit of her insanity of dragging us around. We never knew where we were going to live. Um, I can look at my, my background and it's like a really bad TV movie of the week. And, uh, so it it was really a tragic way to grow up, um, like many of you did also.
0: I, I know all your brothers too. All of you had some rough years growing up, but what kind of impact did your relationship with your mom have on you and how you developed as a person?
1: Well, for me personally, um, I became an extremely shy, introverted person. I was scared of everything. Um, I would never have talked to anybody. Uh, I, kid- I To this day, I cannot remember the name of a friend or even a school teacher uh, because I was just so shy. Uh, nobody would ever talk to me, and I didn't want anybody to talk to me. It was just that introverted, um, afraid of everything. Um, I just... I just grew up feeling like I wasn't wanted, I wasn't loved, um, I wasn't worth even being around. And so that played on my emotions and my upbringing. It related to my relationships with other people. Um, The choices that I made as a young adult uh, were certainly destructive choices. I didn't have any role model of what love was supposed to look like. And so I didn't even know how to love myself, much less anybody else.
0: But then something changed in your mid-20s to where you found the way to forgive. What happened?
1: Well, the Lord got a hold of me, and uh, it was an amazing, amazing day. I remember to this day still walking down the aisle at the church uh, in Arizona where actually Darren and I met. And I remember thinking, oh, my, this is what I've been missing. This is the answer to my whole life. Um, This is what it means to be loved, and I knew that instantaneously when I received the love of Christ, and it just changed everything for me. Now, granted, it's been a process. Um, Certainly, learning to forgive my mother has been a process, and um, I can't say that it was always easy. I can't say that it was instantaneous. There are times where I would think I've forgiven her, and then something else would pop up, and I would think, oh. I thought I was done with that. So it is a process, at least it was for me. Um, there were certainly areas of um, bondage that she had over me that took me a while to release myself up from. But it was only through the love of Christ that I was able to do that and how Christ would reveal things to me constantly over the years that I am loved. I'm forgiven for all the choices that I made because I certainly had done enough of my own destructive choices. And so realizing what that forgiveness is for me was helping me to be able to forgive her. And uh, eventually I was able to see her as Christ saw her, um, to see her as the broken person, like Darren was saying with his dad, that she was a very wounded, broken, hurting person, and she didn't know how to be loved. And she didn't know how to show love. And it's sad to me even now to know that she passed away a few years ago, never really grasping any of that uh, love from Christ.
0: One of the things both Julie and I experienced in our lives, and it's just a truth you have to get a hold of when it comes to forgiveness, sometimes you have to let go of that dream of of the way Mm -hmm. you would like a relationship to be. And I never had the relationship with my dad that I always wanted. Julie never had the relationship with her mom that she always wanted. But you still can have peace in the midst of all that, especially if we can see that person through the eyes of Christ and treat them like that. And so, well, and
1: let me just add, I just just a thought that came across my mind is one of the things that God has given me as a gift is like I said my background was like this bad TV movie of the week. I now can stand here and remember things of my childhood and things that happened to me almost as if it happened to a third party because it's no longer a part of me. It's no longer my identity. It's no longer anything that has a hold on me any longer because Christ has come in and given me that new identity. So it's a wonderful gift that the Lord yeah. has given me.
0: Well, can we thank Julie for being willing to share today? Thank you. There's there's one other decision that I think is so huge, and this is critical. It's the decision to say, I will trust God. I will trust God, because God is not the orchestrator of every event in our lives. But, But God allows a lot of events to happen in our lives because he allows free will. And in the midst of all those things, God says, there is not a thing that happens in your life that I cannot use for good. Here's what Joseph found out. Listen to this powerful statement Joseph makes. He says, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. And then he goes on at the end of Genesis chapter 50 to say this. This is an awesome verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Doris Rivera Black uh, used to be on our staff. She shared with me, that's her favorite verse. That's one of her life verses because it's true of her life. She was a victim of domestic violence and God has used that as a platform. He's opened doors for her now to travel all over the country to speak to other women and, and men about this issue. Oftentimes, God uses those situations in our lives to do something within us, but then God then opens doors for us to use this as an avenue to reach other people. Can you trust him to say, God, I'm going to trust you to bring something good out of it? Something good, because you're that kind of God that can do it. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. I want you just to, to look at his life. How much pain, how much disappointment he must have experienced. I mean, he grows up in a family. His mom knows who he is, but his brothers don't believe it. His sisters don't believe it. Even his disciples have trouble following him. He's always frustrated with their lack of faith. And one of those disciples is a guy named Judas who actually betrays him. He gets sent before religious leaders who supposedly study the scriptures, but they can't even see Jesus in the scriptures. They want him crucified. He goes to the Roman authorities, and, and they, they give in to the crowds. And, and even though they want to release a prisoner to the, to the audience, and they say, you know, you can, have, you can have Jesus or this dirty old criminal named Barabbas, and they says we want Barabbas. And they say they want Jesus crucified. The soldiers, as I said before, nail him to a cross, not knowing what they do. When it was on the cross, Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want to ask you, who's the them? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it Pilate? Was it the religious leaders? Was it his disciples? Was it you? Was it me? That we also are guilty of doing things we don't know the ramifications of, things that are contrary to God's will for our lives, He offers to forgive us as well.